Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Orlando Overtime Podcast. This is your host, Johnson Treadway, talking, and uh, I just want to let all the listeners know how excited I am. Uh, recently got some new broadcasting uh, technology and equipment, a new microphone and pop filter, basically, uh, to record this podcast with, and I'm so excited because if you can tell a difference, then that means that it was worth getting <laughs> the, all this equipment and that it is working fantastically well. So I just want to thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast. If you've listened before, and hopefully you'll have a more enjoyable time of listening to it now that uh, the technology to bring it to you has improved uh drastically over the last stuff um i want to give a little shout out here to yeti that's the company of the microphone that i got they make fantastic products if you cannot tell the quality of the sound that uh, is being produced by this mic is just absolutely fantastic so small little shout out to yeti there for the microphone but we are going to go ahead and jump right into it today a little bit of talk about uh, ucf a couple of things happened since the last time I was really able to talk about them, uh, the Fiesta Bowl, I won't get too far into that just because uh, it was so long ago since I, uh, this, since this, uh, the recording of this podcast um, that, you know, we all know basically what happened. Um, I, I do just want to give a little brief talk about what that experience was like uh, going out to Glendale and uh, getting to experience the Fiesta Bowl in person and how awesome that was, uh, especially when stacking it up to the Peach Bowl from 2018. Uh, the Peach Bowl was a fantastic time, and I had a great time out there. So I'll talk a little bit about that and uh, somewhat about Brandon Wimbush uh, coming in as a transfer to UCF and talk about how that dynamic is going to change the UCF football team. But uh, mainly I want to spend most of my time today on the podcast talking about my personal favorite sport. And yes, that is basketball, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about the UCF basketball team and their run to the big dance for the first time in a long, 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 long time. Uh, not super long, but a good amount of time uh, when talking about the last time since they made it to the tourney and talk about the Magic who have been in a playoff drought of their own for just about as long of a time as uh, UCF's basketball team. And I really want to talk about how well that they've been playing right now. Um, but we're first going to dive in and talk about this UCF basketball team uh, that Johnny Dawkins has playing so wonderfully well right now. Um, they've had a pretty good season when you look at their resume uh, that they have going for them. And I'm going to pull it up here real quick. I'm sorry, I should have had it pulled up already. Um, but... When you look at their resume, especially compared to the rest of uh, the AAC, they have a really uh, good, good, solid resume going for them right now, and um, they've 
created some momentum for themselves heading towards the conference tournament and um uh, so so when you look at their overall right now as i'm pulling it up here um ucf overall right now 20 and sits 10 and 4 in american play they're sitting in third place right now, currently behind Cincinnati, uh, who has a 23 and 4 overall record with a 12 and 2 conference record, as well as Houston, who has the uh, 20 sits in 1 overall record with the 13 and 1 conference record. When you look at what UCF's done this year as far as wins and losses, 14 and 2 at home which is a very, very good uh, home record, 3-4 and four on the road, which they could have done better on, uh, but, you know, uh, you can't be beggars when you have such a good, impressive look. And, um, you know, when you look at their key wins that they've gotten so far this year, they had Alabama early on in the season, got a big win on the road, uh, at, sorry, at home against Alabama, and they played them on the road last year, so I apologize. A, a big win at home against Alabama. Um, they've uh, had a, a couple of good wins as well um, against Memphis at home. Uh, they had a win against Temple earlier in the year. Uh, uh, so they've had some good solid wins. And when you really look at their losses, um, other than the Florida Atlantic loss, the FAU loss that they had early on, uh, in the season, which was a little bit of a setback. Other than that, they haven't really had too many bad quote unquote losses, uh, this year. Um, they did have a loss on the road against Memphis, but Memphis right now is definitely making a solid case for trying to earn themselves a spot into the uh, NCAA tournament as well. When you look at Memphis's record right now, 17 and 11 overall, nine and sits in conference, and a couple of those in conference wins have been solid. As I already mentioned, they had one win uh, against UCF. Uh, I believe one of their other wins was against Temple, who is ranked uh, ahead of them. Uh, so some some pretty solid outings, and when you look at UCF here and what they have left on the schedule as far as teams that they have to play, um, they have USF on the road coming up on Wednesday. Uh, USF does qualify as a quadrant one team, excuse me, and uh, basically that just has to do with uh, power rankings. Um, and determining you know where certain teams lie at as far as being able to judge uh, team A against team B for putting different teams uh, into the tournament. So USF falls under um, that, uh, excuse me, that uh, quadrant one um, matchup there. And uh, then you get into March and they have their last three games of the season in March starting off with a Saturday matchup at 4 p.m. on ESPN, which will be the site of uh, the college game day uh, game this week, uh, which is going to be against Houston on the road. Houston ranked 8th in the country right now, 26-1. Last time that UCF matched up against Houston was back on February 7th at home. Uh, Houston was ranked 12th at the time, 
and uh, didn't really end so well for the Knights as they fell to Houston 77-68. to um, Not a whole lot of offensive production went down for the Knights in that game, so they have a pretty tough test against the number one team in the AAC uh, on Saturday. But if they can get a win against USF, and after the Houston game, they have two other games coming up um, Thursday, March the 7th against Cincinnati, which will be a home game. And then uh, they will finish their regular season on Saturday, March the 9th against Temple, um, which will be a road game for the Knights. Um, Cincinnati, UCF played earlier in the year at Cincinnati in a very, very tough environment on the road against a very good Cincinnati team. As I mentioned, they're ranked currently 23rd in the nation right now, so they're getting a top 25 ranking. And uh, basically, it came down to a last-second Cincinnati shot almost at the buzzer uh, to beat UCF. Um, and as we said, UCF was on the road, so that they put up a tough fight against a Cincinnati team. It's not like this is a game that's going to be a stretch for the Knights uh, by any means, but uh, they definitely don't have any room to relax. But if they can get a win against USF, get a top 25 win against a Cincinnati team who's ranked uh, ahead of them here, if somehow they could pull out uh, an upset win against Houston that would just be incredible for their uh, tournament hopes but if they definitely get a win against USF if they can for sure get a win against Cincinnati and then uh, um, get a win against Temple who's ranked underneath them uh, at 20 and 7 it is on the road so it's going to be a little bit hard of a test uh, going up against Temple they've had a lot of great players uh, start to play well for them coming down the stretch as they try to make a deep push um, for one of those last spots in uh, the NCAA bracket and uh, so that Temple game won't come easy for the Knights but if they can pull out a win and come out of these last four games of the season uh, ideally with a three and one record at the very least they have to go two and two and uh, you would really hope if they're going to go two and two that the two losses come to uh, Houston and Cincinnati who are both ranked ahead of UCF so it doesn't hurt their resume uh, too much going into um, selection Sunday but if they can really come out uh, three and one or four and oh um after those four games um, and and get a quality win either over uh, Houston or Cincinnati or both of them, it'll really help that resume out going into the AAC tourney. And uh, they have a chance to, to obviously go pretty far in the uh, American tournament coming in March. Um, they've played well against many of the teams that have been in the American. They have themselves poised to um, at least have a top three uh, spot in the American if they don't fall too bad over these last four games. And uh, if, if they can put together a very good showing in the American uh, tournament, then they definitely help themselves out right now uh, for the NCAA tournament. They're projected as, uh, I believe it's an 11 seed. Um, and, and so if they can 
even get an 11 seed they have an opportunity to win against some of these other teams uh that they will face or potentially could face uh going into the ncaa tournament come march time uh taco fall's been playing pretty well the last game that the knights had against smu which excuse me was at home a couple of days ago as i said against smu ucf winning that game 95 uh, to 48 taco fall finishes with 23 points and uh, 20 rebounds in that game um a pretty big showing for him and then you also have uh bj taylor has uh, definitely been playing lights out so far uh for the knights this year uh when we go through the list he finished with 14 points in that game uh Aubrey Dawkins has been playing fantastic basketball down the stretch he had 11 points and five rebounds in that game uh Chad Smith had nine points 10 rebounds in that game so a point short of a double double and uh you look at the bench um that that UCF had um coming off of it and uh you had well sorry excuse me so Chad Brown came off of the bench um, that was Colin Smith that started at forward that had nine points and 10 rebounds, but, um, Chad Smith or, uh, excuse me, Chad Brown <laughs> coming off of the bench with 13 points and 11 rebounds off of the bench, getting himself uh, a double double in that game in 23 minutes of play going four of sits from the field. Um, so, you know, UCF's definitely getting solid production as a team, they shot 49.3% from the field in that game on Sunday against SMU. They shot 42.3% from beyond the arc. So they definitely have uh, their shooting game going. Um, and when they get their defense going the way that it can be and uh, the way that it provides within Johnny Dawkins' system, uh, they cause lots of turnovers, they cause transition play, they get themselves out and going on fast breaks, and that's what produces a good amount of the points. So if they can really get some good play here down the stretch for their main guys and, and get things going for them, uh, they'll be able to make a good run. So w with those games coming up for the uh, Knights basketball team, uh, there's a lot to look forward to in these last couple of weeks here before we get into the American tournament and uh, definitely seeing whether they can reach the NCAA tournament for the first time in a few years. I definitely think that they have an opportunity to, but as I said, we'll just have to see on how they do. Uh, transitioning from that now, um, UCF football, um, again, we all know what happened in the Fiesta Bowl, but uh, I'll keep it brief and short. We had a, a great time out of the Fiesta Bowl in uh, Glendale, um, started the trip off in Las Vegas, great way to start it, drove all the way down to, um, I almost said <laughs> to Tempe, but we weren't staying in Tempe, we were staying in um oh my gosh i am gonna forget the name now of where we were staying at in arizona um we were staying in tucson excuse me uh staying down in tucson over by the university of arizona got to check out the campus there i did get to check out the campus of uh, arizona state university in tempe though um, both campuses were very impressive and to me seemed like 
kind of on polar opposites. You know, University of Arizona had a lot of that old traditional uh, school feel to it, while Arizona State was the very um, hip, progressive, uh, new feel type campus, almost like a UCF uh, but just out west. So ironically enough, as I digress on this tangent of uh, Arizona schools, but uh, we had a good time uh, meeting up with fellow Knights fans out in uh, Scottsdale, um, getting to hang out with them before the Fiesta Bowl, and then uh, going to Glendale on New Year's Day, getting to go to State Farm Stadium. What a cool, impressive stadium. And uh, it's really interesting because a lot of times you can't really tell from pictures or um, from TV if you watch the uh, Cardinals games or just the Fiesta Bowl or anything like that on TV. But it was really interesting to see because the stadium is basically in the middle of a giant parking lot with nothing really around it other than um, the arena next door where the, uh, I believe it's the Phoenix Coyotes, or the, excuse me, the Arizona Coyotes, as they're now called, uh, the NHL hockey team for Arizona. I believe it's the arena that they um, play their hockey games at and any of the AFL or any other um, sports events like that. Uh, occur at uh, as I'm pretty sure the only thing that happens at Talking Stick Resort Arena are just the Phoenix Suns games or concerts now Um, but the only thing that's really near a State Farm Stadium in Glendale is the other arena where uh, the Arizona Coyotes play at and then the parking lot where the the football stadium is at or the parking for the football stadium and then right beyond that it's like a really residential area so it was kind of weird because we're driving through and uh, there's all these homes there's a school a little uh, tiny shopping center and everything and you get past some more homes and there's a big like fence on the side Uh, where these homes are at and you pass the fence and all of a sudden there's the stadium right there it was kind of a surprise as to to where it was located but uh talk about a very cool very advanced uh stadium with the retractable roof um it was not retracted as it was very cold outside it was in the 30s much like how um the peach bowl uh, the year before in Atlanta was on New Year's Day. They didn't have this the roof retracted at Mercedes-Benz Stadium either, so it was very cold. Um, but they can, at the State Farm Stadium in Arizona, roll the field in and out. They do grow it outside and then roll it into the stadium, so it was very cool to learn about that and, and kind of see that happen uh, firsthand and uh, to, to be able to watch the game uh, in that venue. So a very good time, very good turnout, um, for the Knights and all the UCF fans that showed up. Uh, you know, I, I gotta say it was a good game. Um, there was a lot of positive things to take away. If you're a UCF fan from that game, uh, going into next year. And, uh, so, you know, we'll leave it at that. Um, we do want to 
talk about and get into Brandon uh, Wimbush here for a little bit. Um, so unless you've uh, either been sleeping under a rock or just not really paying attention as a UCF fan, um, most of us already know that Brandon Wimbush uh, did transfer from Notre Dame down to UCF uh, to play quarterback for the Knights. And it's going to provide an interesting uh, wrinkle, if you will, uh, into the Knights roster for this upcoming year as we get into um, spring ball, spring workouts, and then into fall camp. Um, I, I, I got to say, I definitely think it's going to be a good thing having Brandon Wimbush in. Um, now, for those of you that are Daryl Mack fanatics, listen, I'm not trying to say that Daryl Mack is not the man to be the starting quarterback for the Knights next year. Um, he definitely proved why um, he will be a viable option for Josh Heupel next year I think in the uh in the Memphis game in the AAC title game that he played in I mean I, I was there at that game he played one heck of a game in, in that second half and the comeback in uh in leading UCF to the win and, and he provides a lot of good things for you um he he's a tall guy he's athletic he's big and strong um he definitely runs with the ball very well when he protects it um he most of the time makes pretty smart decisions uh with where he's going to throw the ball with what he's doing with the ball um he typically does not uh cause or create a lot of turnovers which is something that you want to see in your quarterback that you have um but it's going to be interesting because there are things that he obviously has to work on and again uh, he was a redshirt freshman this year. He only started uh, really in the regular season in only one game against East Carolina on the road when McKenzie sat out uh, for the whole game. And then he started in the uh, American title game against Memphis and in the Fiesta Bowl against LSU. So really only three starts this year, one of them in the regular season, uh, one of them in the conference championship game, which you know is going to put a lot of pressure on you, and the other one in the Fiesta Bowl against a SEC opponent uh, in a New Year's Six Bowl game, which is also going to add a lot of pressure on you as well. Um, so he's been in pressure situations, and I think he has shown that he is ready for the challenge, um, but he's got a lot to learn and a lot to work on, you know, and um, I, I just, before we go to the uh, commercial break here and really get into talking about the magic, um, you know, I just want to put a point on with Brandon Wimbush, he's going to bring a lot of wisdom and talent um, to the quarterback room for UCF and you know obviously it's going to be hard uh, for any of those guys to really try to step in and quote-unquote replace uh, McKenzie Milton and what he means to this UCF team to the UCF offense um, and what he brings to the table um, but when you look at Brandon Wimbush and what he did at Notre Dame he's also a big strong guy very athletic um, can run with the ball very well 
uh, has a very strong, solid arm on him. Um, and he has wisdom. He's going to be a graduate transfer. He's already graduated. He's immediately eligible to play being a graduate transfer. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's been with Notre Dame for three years now. Uh, it may be four, but I believe it's three. Um, and he was the starter for Notre Dame um uh, this year and I believe last year um, up until uh, Ian Book took over a couple of games into the season as the starter uh, for Notre Dame so he's been a starter he's been a starter in some pretty big games uh, he has that big game experience and and he knows a little bit of what the spotlight is like and I think if anything he's really just going to provide um at most, uh, a seasoned veteran quarterback that has all the intangibles there to, um, again, not necessarily replace McKenzie Milton because I, I don't know and I don't think any of these guys are really going to be able to replace McKenzie and do all the things, all the intangibles that McKenzie uh, is able to do, but he's going to be as close as any of those guys in that quarterback room will uh, to doing what McKenzie was able to do and, and fill in um, those shoes, um, you know, at best. At worst, he'll be a mentor to either Daryl Mack if he gets the starting position um, and for sure to Dylan Gabriel um and to Quadre Jones and any of those other quarterbacks that are also uh, in in the quarterback room and give them a little bit of advice, a little bit of wisdom and guidance into how to mature and grow into that quarterback position and be able to handle those big moments um, that you need to as a quarterback, whether it's a game on the road, uh, whether it's a big uh, a bowl game moment, whether it's a big uh, home game, but you're playing a, a tough opponent. Um, anytime that you may be down, any of those kinds of instances uh, where adversity is going to be striking, uh, he'll hopefully be able to provide uh, some guidance and some teaching tools uh, to those younger guys to be able to help them move on in that process. So, uh, me personally, I don't think uh, adding Brandon Wimbush hurts. UCF at all I don't think it hurts Daryl Mack I think if anything it provides him a challenge where in his head he can say okay I have somebody that's gunning for my job now um, because you got to know that Brandon Wimbush did not come to UCF just to sit on the bench he was already doing that at Notre Dame uh, he came in believing that he has a very good opportunity and a very good shot um, to start for this night's team from day one and uh, so you know if you're Daryl Mack Jr. you have to come in kind of knowing okay I, I got a target on my back as being quote-unquote the guy or the starting guy here um, and now I have to go out and prove that I deserve that starting spot or that I've earned that starting spot and uh, it's going to come in spring ball, it's going to come in fall camp, and, and he's got to go out there and show and prove to Josh Heupel and the rest of the coaching staff that he should be the guy that uh, leads this night's offense next year. And, um, you know, th they're going to have some big games. They have Stanford on 
Stanford at home that they'll be playing this year. They have FAU on the road, um, which that's not a team that you can really take lightly. Um, I, I know we played well against them last year, but you can't take them lightly at all. And you also have Pitt on the road, which again, we, we beat them pretty well at home this past year. But when it comes to Pitt on the road, playing them in Pittsburgh, it's a totally different scene and you got to be ready for that. And uh, uh, we'll see if they can rise up to the challenge. But uh, really looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, UCF football as we move closer to um, the start of net season. We have the spring game coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide you uh, with some more insight and in-depth look into uh, UCF football heading into um, the spring game. And uh, we might be able to do a a podcast for the spring game. Uh, Still in the works on that. But uh, regardless, got to be excited about UCF football and definitely the UCF basketball team um, as they get into the home stretch here. Uh, about to start the American uh, Conference Championship and uh, looking for their first NCAA berth. So with that, we're going to go ahead and take our quick break here, and we'll be right back getting into part two, talking about the Orlando Magic and the run that they've had before entering the All-Star break and what we think they might do after the All-Star break in their push to the playoffs. You're listening to Orlando Overtime Podcast. Welcome back to the Orlando Overtime Podcast, everybody, and we're going to go ahead and get into segment two now of the podcast, talking about the Orlando Magic and what a run that they are on right now. Uh, Going into the All-Star break, right before the break happened, the Magic were riding a five-game winning streak, one of the longest that they have had uh, since their playoff drought started in 2012. And uh, the Magic were looking fantastic. Uh, Jonathan Isaac and Terrence Ross kind of leading the way, uh, getting things going uh, for the Magic as they were basically just rolling over all of their opponents that they uh, uh, were encountering on this streak, uh, averaging a a good amount of points and uh, playing some great defense as well. And a lot of um, what they were doing on that streak before the All-Star break occurred uh, had to start with their defense the way that they were getting stops, um, getting out into transition and scoring easy transition buckets and points. Uh, that that was the main go-getter for the Magic and what they were doing. And uh, so the All-Star break happens uh, right after this five-game winning streak, kind of an awful time for the Magic. And uh, everyone gets a little bit worried about you know, is this going to cool off the magic? Is it going to end their streak? What's going to happen? So their first game back uh, after the All-Star break, they played Chicago and uh, ended up losing to Chicago on a a, a last-minute missed shot, per se. 
and uh so you know everyone was kind of like all right well here's the typical Orlando again but then they go into Toronto uh yesterday and play a Raptors team who was sitting Kawhi Leonard on rest but still has a pretty formidable team when you look at their lineup still had you know Kyle Lowry in the game uh Siakam has been playing well they had Serge Ibaka coming off of the bench yesterday had Marcus Gasol starting uh you know a fairly fairly strong team they have Jeremy Lin now after they picked him up off of waivers after Atlanta waived him and uh again fairly strong team for Toronto and Orlando goes in there and wins the game and not only wins it but wins it pretty convincingly down the stretch um as uh, Toronto had made a comeback late in the third quarter early in the fourth quarter and Orlando just goes on a run gets a bunch of defensive stops Terrence Ross uh, starts getting really hot from behind the arc finished the game with I believe 28 points uh, was the leading scorer in the game and uh, just imposed his will uh, on the Toronto defense and as we said Orlando finds a way to go into a tough Toronto environment especially when every game down the stretch here is going to start feeling like a playoff game and they find a way to go in and win and uh Charlotte loses against Golden State now Detroit and Brooklyn both won but Miami who's ranked just behind Orlando lost as well um so right now the Magic sitting in the ninth spot 18 and a half games out of first place but Charlotte who has that eighth seed right now is 18 games behind Milwaukee so Orlando only a half game out of that eighth seed with New York coming up tomorrow night uh, when you look at uh, the rest of the um, its uh, list of the Eastern Conference, Detroit sitting in that seventh seed right now, sixteen and a half games behind Milwaukee, so they are two games ahead of Orlando for that seventh seed, and Brooklyn sitting there in the sixth seed, uh, fifteen games behind Milwaukee, so they're a game and a half ahead of Detroit three ahead of Brooklyn and three and a half ahead of Orlando um so when you think about this run that the Magic have been on they're not really that far behind Brooklyn who's sitting in the sit seed only three and a half games ahead of Orlando uh they have an opportunity tomorrow night to take over that eight seed from Charlotte when they play New York um it'll be in Madison Square Garden Uh, Of course, New York right now sitting at the bottom of the Eastern Conference uh, with a record of 12 and 48, so not looking too good right now. Um, So Orlando has an opportunity to get a pretty good win here against a New York team who's really fighting uh, for that first uh, uh, pick in the draft with Phoenix next year. and Orlando has the opportunity to jump Charlotte, get into that playoff talk, and really kind of put some pressure on Detroit and Brooklyn to possibly move up a couple more seeds um, into that playoff conversation. When you look at Miami, who's sitting right behind Orlando after their loss tonight, they're now 19 and a half games 
behind Milwaukee. Orlando again 18 and a half games behind Milwaukee. So Orlando a full game uh, ahead of Miami. So they're also providing themselves with a little bit of cushion on the bottom end to keep these uh, bottom teams like Miami and Washington from uh, coming up and overtaking them. Washington sitting 22 games back behind Milwaukee. Uh, so Orlando at 18 and a half is about three and a half games uh, ahead of Washington right now. So they're, they're in pretty good position. They position themselves well, more importantly than any of those. Uh, they seem to, for the first time in a very, very long time, be peaking and streaking at the right time of the year. Um, last year and the year before, uh, we definitely saw where at the beginning of the season, Orlando kind of got out to um, an early start, uh, a good early jump out of the gate, if you will, um, with strong November and December showings. Uh, definitely had themselves positioned in, in very good spots um, headed into January. And we've seen the last few years where it seems like all of a sudden in January, the Magic would hit this imaginary brick wall where they just couldn't find ways to win. Uh, they couldn't scrap together wins. Um, they couldn't piece it together um, uh, to get things going. And they would just start to fall apart in the middle of January. And by the time February rolled around, and more specifically by the time the All-Star break rolled around, uh, it seemed like Orlando was in this position where we already knew that most of those, the rest of those games weren't even going to matter. Uh, it wasn't going to make a difference. We're already thinking about draft position, uh, draft picks, uh, off season moves, uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, had already forgotten about what was going on in March and April. And, and it's really exciting as a Magic fan, and I've read on a lot of the Facebook page, pages, um, a lot of the tweets that are going around for the Magic, a lot of the websites and whatnot, the optimism and the enthusiasm that the Magic Nation has um, for this team right now and the way that they're playing and the fact that we are getting into March. So the last full month of the season... And we're hitting that point where we're going into the last about 20 or so games of the season. And these games are meaningful to the Magic. They have meaning. There's a purpose behind them. And, and there's something worth playing for now. And uh, a lot of those sentiments were mirrored by Terrence Ross yesterday in the post-game interview that he had after the game. You know, he basically said, we have something to play for. Um, there's a reason for this Magic team to keep playing hard, to keep playing meaningful, meaningful games, and, and to keep winning these games, you know. Um, they want to get into a playoff position. They definitely want to move up um, within the playoff rankings and get a good spot and and they're peaking as we said at the right time and and it's not like it's just one person that's kind of put the team on his back and said you know here I'm gonna go with this and and here we go it's really been kind of total team almost 
um, contribution. Um, now, Jonathan Isaac has been a huge, huge catalyst for the Magic in the way that he's been playing. Um, his defense has definitely um, been contagious in the way that he plays defense, the energy that he puts out, um, his effort, his tenacity on the defensive end to get blocks, um, to get rebounds, to shut opponents down. You can tell that it is infectious and it is spreading to the rest of those guys. The team defense overall has picked up. The individual defense has picked up. And really, Orlando's becoming a tough defensive team especially when Jonathan Isaac is out on the floor um, uh, making stops making plays on the defensive end it, it's really uh, paid its dividends there and um, and they're getting offensive contribution from everyone you know Nick Vucevic has been putting up some pretty solid numbers especially heading into the all-star break you know, he uh, was in the All-Star game, and even after uh, in this Toronto game uh, the other night, had put up some, some really good numbers as well um, going into that one. Uh, Terrence Ross, as we said, 28 points in the win over the Raptors yesterday. Um, he's been playing solid down the stretch, especially coming off of the bench. He's been that boost uh, that the Magic bench and the magic just overall have needed um in that secondary unit being able to spark uh this team going along um uh, as we said Jonathan Isaac's defensive presence has been big for them but he's also been doing it offensively uh he's had a 11 point game a 17 point game he's been scoring the basketball and you know the, the thing is is this year he doesn't necessarily have to do all of it or a lot of it but he just has to contribute and I think he's been understanding that it seems like so far that um, you know he, he just has to contribute where it's needed and put points on the board and uh, you know I gotta give him credit uh, while his uh, outside and perimeter shooting hasn't been necessarily anything to marvel at um, he's not afraid to shoot the ball and, uh, he, he's taking shots where the defense is giving him shots and he's allowing it to flow. And while it might, may not land every single time, um, the rhythm and the, um, just practice of doing it, especially in a game situation like that, especially if the defense is going to give it to you. I think is helping grow his offensive confidence and if he could continue that and kind of take it into um, the rest of the year however long the season goes on more and can take it into the offseason and improve in the offseason on that and work on his shot he's going to be even that much better going into next year as an offensive threat especially when his uh, defensive abilities are already there it'll make him even that much more of an impact player for this magic team which is something to get excited about if you're a magic fan and Aaron Gordon has been making an impact as well although not as much as Jonathan Isaac not as much as Terrence Ross he's still making an impact some of his numbers are down right now from what he had at the beginning of the year 
but it's okay because at the beginning of the year he was doing things more trying to to force the situation force himself to be the main guy and he's kind of realized here i think in the last week or two as the rest of the team uh, has picked up their play and everyone's kind of contributing a little bit um in all facets of the game that he, he kind of realizes he doesn't have to do everything um he doesn't have to be the hero there's been a lot of games this year where he tried to just simply do too much um on offense and it really kind of hindered his game because he was trying to force too much upon himself trying to force the situation too much and and not made good shot selections uh not made good decisions with the ball um when it came time um to make a play and it really kind of affected him and and he's now done a very good job of allowing himself to take what the defense is giving him um to try not to force too much of the situation um and just let his offense flow within the game and what's going on around him and to try to just be a solid defensive presence um he's been pretty good on the defensive end shutting down uh some key players on other teams um definitely been great on the boards uh you know crashing the boards getting good rebounds and uh definitely you know always good on on the putbacks and whatnot but he's been getting some blocks along with Jonathan Isaac too which has been really key um to to that interior defense that the Magic have been looking for, you know, as Nick Vucevic has also stepped up his interior defensive game and, and made a solid impact on that as well. Um, and so it's really helping this Magic team. And uh, moving down the stretch, you know, they've gotten some good production from Isaiah Briscoe uh, coming off of the bench at the point guard level. Um, I did forget to mention early on as I was talking about the Magic, they did trade for Markel Fultz. Uh, which I think is a very good pickup when you look at it you know I, I was really a fan of Jonathan Isaac um, but when you look at the trade just from a perspective of uh, what you're receiving in a player like Markel Fultz uh, when he does get healthy now you know obviously he's not healthy right now and and we're not really sure how long it might be before he is healthy um, but if you can get him healthy and you can get him to that status where, where he's able to play again and he's able to play at a healthy uh, injury-free level, um, when you look at the potential player that you picked up in a Markel Fultz as opposed to what you gave up for him in a Jonathan Simmons, and again, I was a, a pretty good Jonathan Simmons fan, but in the role that he had basically found himself in in this magic team and kind of made in this magic team he wasn't doing a whole lot he was coming off of the bench uh wasn't getting a whole lot of points was averaging about like eight nine points a game uh not doing a whole lot on defense not to say that he uh, was hurting this magic team on defense but he wasn't contributing a whole lot uh, uh to their defensive play either um so the gain of what you potentially could be getting in a Markel Fultz versus what you gave up in a Jonathan Simmons. I, I think it was a very excellent trade. Um, you know, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond are not amateurs. Uh, they're not newbies at this. They've been doing this for a while. They know how this works and how this goes. 
um, and and they've been in the league for a while and have done this for a while. They have the experience. They know what they're doing, and I think we have to trust them on this uh, on this trade too. You know, with Markel Fultz, it feels like they have a plan, and you really just gotta let that plan, you know, kind of unfold. But uh, th- there's something special going on with this Magic team right now, and, and if they can continue this run through this Nets 20 games, they've set themselves up to where they have at least an opportunity um, to get past the finish line in April and find themselves in the postseason uh, for the first time since the post-Dwight Howard era, excuse me, in 2012. And um and that's pretty significant because we're going on seven years now of a postseason drought, which uh, for Orlando is a very long time, and uh, you could sense, especially in this past off season, that a lot of Magic fans were really uh, starting to get restless about the fact that this Magic team has gone on seven years now uh, without making the playoffs, and uh. That we haven't seen a playoff game since before Dwight Howard, or since after Dwight Howard, excuse me, uh, left this team, and uh, that's a really long time. And uh, the fans are start finally starting to get optimistic again about this team, about the way that they're playing, uh, the way that they look while they're playing, and you know it looks like they're enjoying themselves and that winning mentality and enthusiasm is just seeping into them and uh, hopefully they can continue this on and uh, so the the Twitter poll question for uh, the Orlando Overtime podcast is going to be do you think the Orlando Magic will make the playoffs this year again as I said they're half game out of the eighth seed right now um with Charlotte losing tonight, uh, Orlando plays the New York Knicks tomorrow night. If they win, they will move up to the eighth seed, uh, overtaking Charlotte for that eighth seed uh, spot in the East. We have about 20 games to go, uh, roughly or so, um, left in the season. Uh, Orlando is two games behind Detroit for the seventh seed. And uh, about three and a half behind Brooklyn for that sit seat. So uh, definitely some possibility there. I'm going out on a limb. I, I know I'm uh, uh, there. You know there hasn't been a whole lot of reason in the last seven years for me to be optimistic as a Magic fan about the Magic making the playoffs. And I know at the beginning of every year I've said, okay. You know, this is the year that we turn the corner. This is the year that it happens, and and something has always happened to where that doesn't seem to be the case. But I gotta say, with twenty games left to go in the season, and uh, w- with the way that the Magic are playing right now, with this run that they're on, the way that the team looks and they're playing together, and some of these wins that they've pulled out, I gotta say that it seems like that is their goal. And uh, I I think they get in. Again, they have a favorable schedule. Detroit, Charlotte, when you look at their schedules, they have to play some brutal, tough games. Uh, Charlotte tonight had to play Golden State. Um, They have to play a couple of the other tough teams, not only in the East, in Toronto, and I believe they have a game or two with Milwaukee, but they have to play some more of the tougher teams in the West, looking at OKC 
and, and some of the other teams out there in the West that are not easy to get wins against. Um, and when you look at Detroit, same thing. They have to play Golden State. Uh, they have to play Oklahoma City. Um, they play Milwaukee at least one or two more times. So they don't have an easy schedule as well when it comes down to it. And uh, when you look at the Magic schedule, now on Thursday, they will be playing uh, Golden State. So it's not like their schedule is going to be super easy. But they only play Golden State once. They have a lot of the teams out west that they've already played, um, are already gotten their two games against them done and through. Uh, so when you really look at it, they're only playing against a lot of the teams in the east um, for the end of this stretch run going down here in March. And a lot of those teams that they're playing, other than a couple of games against uh, Philly, a couple of games against Boston, um, and I believe they have one more against Indiana I want to say I could be wrong on that but but other than that uh most of the other teams are in the seventh seed or lower um in the Eastern Conference as far as teams that the Magic have left to play and also uh for a fact that uh I just found out yesterday looking through Twitter um but I I realized it after I looked at it the Magic have won at least one game against every team that currently sits in the top eight seeds of the Eastern Conference uh, so looking in the playoff picture in the perspective it's not like the Magic um, have struggled or aren't able to uh, get a win against any of these teams that are above them right now the possibilities there it's really just going to be about the execution and the tenacity that this team plays with. And and if they can keep playing with the fire and the focus uh, that they've been playing with on uh, these last couple of games that they've had uh, going into the All-Star break and since then, minus the uh, Chicago game uh, the other night, then they really have a good opportunity to put themselves in position um, to make it to the playoffs and be playing some some meaningful basketball in the playoffs come April and uh, finally get the NBA playoffs back here in Orlando for the first time since 2012. So if you're a Magic fan, definitely a lot to look forward to as well. The team's playing good, very optimistic. If you have any Magic questions or any thoughts or comments about the Magic uh, making the playoffs, um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at JTMagic1989. Uh, leave me some comments there, and uh, we'll be able to discuss about uh, the magic and, and uh, whatnot. And if you have any comments or ideas uh, about this UCF basketball team and uh, their run to the NCAA tournament, you can leave me some comments as well. Um, before we go, I just want to make sure to give a shout-out to all the other podcasts that are out there. Um, I, I believe in listening to multiple different podcasts. We're not trying to really compete against each other, at least I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to give you commentary that's from a different perspective or different opinion of 
as opposed to somebody else on the same type of topics. But if you want some more in-depth coverage on UCF, there's a couple of different podcasts that you can check out. Um, the One Night Stand podcast, excellent podcast to listen to, as well as the Nightline Network, uh, Sons of UCF, or uh, multiple other UCF podcasts that are out there that I can't think of right now since it's late at night and my brain's barely working. Uh, but definitely go check out those ones for sure. Um, and the other ones out there, they're fantastic listens. And I definitely recommend them to you um, as great podcasts uh, uh, to go visit if you want more content on UCF. And they talk all things UCF. Uh, football, basketball, and they get a lot of in-depth information as far as UCF athletics. If you're looking for more in-depth information on uh, or in-depth podcasts on Orlando Magic and their basketball, you can check out the Orlando Magic Daily podcast run by uh, 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 Philip Rossman Rank. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that, Philip. I had a mind blank again. Uh, trying to remember names over here, but you can go check out the Orlando Magic Daily podcast uh, run by Philip Rossman, right? Good friend of mine. Um, I used to work with him for Orlando Magic Daily. He does an excellent podcast and breaks down things um, in depth coverage and is very detailed on how his podcast works. Um, there's also a couple of other Magic podcasts out there that you can check. The Magic Drive Time podcast is out there. Uh, Dante Marcatelli um, doing an excellent job on that one. And uh, there's a there's a couple more um, Orlando Magic podcasts that you can check out as well. Um, that's all that I have for today and for this episode. And uh, we'll catch you back on another episode of Orlando Overtime podcast soon. Thanks you for listening in. Hope you guys have a great rest of your time.